0: The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast.
1: This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. Nobody, nobody trusts anybody now. And we're all very tired. Nothing else I can do. Just wait. NJ Darkish, Scream King, U.S. Outpost 31. Well, um, <laughs> if you don't know what that quote is from, uh, you're in for a treat today. Uh, but before we get into the movie of the day, uh, we want to invite our uh, wonderful guests for this episode. Uh, how about you introduce yourself?
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm, my name is Iveltrees Littles, and I have a YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, whatnot, uh, about horror films. I talk about horror films, review horror films, talk about them, promote them, whatever I could do.
1: Awesome, awesome. So, so, uh, but, uh, we're we're gonna get all of the the details for this this channel, so everyone can definitely check it out because it's definitely worth your time. Uh, but first, we just kind of want to know, yeah, how did you get into horror? Um, you know, kind of what's your story with uh, getting into the genre? Oh
2: man, it started all the way back when I was really little. Um, my first horror film that I can remember was The Thing. And uh, I was trying to sneak and watch it and my parents caught me and they uh, made me watch it, (laughs) watch some of it because I was trying to sneak and they were like, okay, since you wanna watch it, we're gonna, gonna, I'm gonna make you watch it. So I had to sit between them and uh, the first, Image I can remember seeing is when um, the doc was, you know, um, pumping on the chest of Norris and his head, you know, I mean, his chest opened up and, you know, his head went across, you know, slid across the table onto the floor. And that's what I saw as a little girl, really, really little. (laughs) And it was uh, (laughs) a. And then, you know, and it just traumatizing. It was, I imagine <laughs> that was the. I was just terrified, and I kept trying to cover up my face. And they were like putting my hands down. I was like, "No, you sneak sneaking watch it. You watch it." So yeah.
1: <laughs> so so basically, the equivalent of making uh, someone smoke an entire carton of cigarettes all at once.
2: Yeah, my parents made me watch a horror film, <laughs> and uh, the last. Uh, where I just couldn't take it anymore and they figured that out is when the head crawled across the floor and and, you know that's when they were like go back in the room and and I told you now listen to us and and every since then it was a family affair I mean we would go to the to the drive-in when those were really popular and you know regular theater and watch horror films together as a family It, it was the thing Friday night Saturday night get friends get VHS's and those were like the thing, and in some cases, uh, laser disc, <laughs> and we would watch them and nice. get terrified. So yeah, it was—it's a family thing. It started young, kept going.
3: And what doesn't bring a family closer together? Like a head
1: walking on spider legs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, we've got our family close. <laughs>
1: Hey, I, I just recently bonded with some members of my family watching it that way. So that way. <laughs> the, power the power of the, of the thing. thing. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Assimilating families. <laughs> One at a time till the world is
3: taken over. <laughs> so I vote Thrice, uh Tell us a little bit about is the thing your favorite horror movie then?
2: The thing is my favorite movie. Um, and many I, different reasons yes.
3: and, and other and than, other your, than your family, family moments, moments, what about what this about this makes it, makes it makes it your favorite
2: um well i would mostly say it's the family moments at the mm-hmm. that's i have to say that first like that is the first thing because um my i was very close to my dad he died when i was a little girl and we often watch horror films together and that's the first one with him that i remember. And every time I watch it, it it just brings back that moment um, of just having both my parents having a good time together with me. And it developed into something um, that I love later, because The Thing didn't become my favorite movie uh, until I was in my teens, when I watched it a couple of times again. And I was getting that feeling of, happiness which was strange even though i was terrified and it kind of went over to my niece my niece is three years younger than me and we watch it together and watch horror films and not just that one but particular i would have to say after that how it became my favorite is is that the story itself of trust trusting someone how everything could go fine you you trust your fellow man, at least you think so, until something is threatened, and then you slowly see things or you see them uh turn their backs on each other, and mm-hmm. it just takes something you know of an alien species to really show who your friends are and and they you know and I think uh Gary really said that. About Benning's, he was like, I've known him for ten years. You know, I I know him, but it it, at that point it didn't matter if you knew him or not. He's the thing we're destroying him. So friendships Mm -hmm. were just demolished slowly by one by one in fear. And I think that happens in real life. You know, you're you could be friends with someone for you know twenty years until they break your trust, and it's it's kind of either all over or you don't trust them again you know they're still your friend but you're still watching them and, and seeing what's next so that's why i really like it's the story
3: Awesome. yeah and i think we we definitely want to dive into that a little bit more as we review the movie and, and talk about some of the nuances of it um but first i want to know what the scariest horror movie you've seen is
2: Ooh, scariest based on age wise i would say I've seen a scary movie that I was in as an adult that really, um, really scared me. And then there's the one when I was 12 years old. So that I, I have to say two. Can I say two? Yes.
3: Ab- absolutely. <laughs>
2: Good. Okay. So 12 years old, it was around my 12th birthday. And if I say this, you probably know how old I am, who cares? But my sister took me to the theater and to see Candyman. Oh, and nice. Such a good that, movie. at 12 years old, is yep. scary. <laughs> I couldn't use the bathroom by myself with the door closed for at least a, a couple of weeks. It really hey. got to me.
1: So along those lines, I assume you were just crazy excited for the the new one.
2: Oh um, yeah, um, yeah. Because I I feel the new one is going to take us on a more on a in depth psychological uh, ride. In the same league, just an adult. It, it's it's really funny. I was watching an episode called Terror Vision on Tales from the Crypt and it was it it, terror, it it actually really got my heart pumping i was i was scared really scared because the guy he was doing like a horror show and he walked in and uh with his cameraman and i forgot that actor's name but he's been on um he's very erratic and 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 loud and funny and you know, God, I can't think of his name, but he was in there. He walked in there and was looking around. And then obviously you see the camera kind of get weird, but he didn't notice it. And he was just telling the cameraman come with him and they're walking from room to room. And he walked in the room and he noticed someone hanging and he got closer and closer. And he was like, you know, dude, are you getting this? Are you getting this? And, and, and he looked it up and he noticed it was his cameraman. And the entire time, the, whole, the the van that's outside that is uh, watching this, and it's live on air, uh, was like, dude, who's holding the camera? <laughs> so the entire time he was walking through, something else was holding the camera. And it was the way it was cut and done, it, that scared me. I don't know why, hmm. it just really scared me. That's so stupid. <laughs> I was, like, in my mid-twenties, so.
1: (laughs) Well, no no judgment. Something I love is that, like, even if if a movie is, you know, ends up being, like, really cheesy or ridiculous, there can still be moments that, like, really get to you. Uh, And so, yeah, there's definitely little bits in in movies I otherwise don't like that. I'm like, oh, but that that one part, it's all worth it just for that one part. Can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, YouTube channel?
2: Well, um, horror movies and beyond. People have asked me, you know, people ask me, what is your, what is it about? What do you do? And I wrote that in the tagline. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, it's just easier. <laughs> it's uh, reviewing horror movies for the living to understand the dead. I started off with a blog. Um, called Nerdtastic Girl, where I talked to, went to like WonderCon and and, uh, different Comic-Cons and talked to celebrities. And it was, I I started it by myself. And I would walk up to, you know, if I felt comfortable enough or want to talk to them and say, hey, you know, would you like to chat for a few minutes? And it takes a lot of nerve, especially if you admire their work. And so I, I, but I noticed I was more drawn to horror. And I wanted to create something where, you know, I could still talk to celebrities, but you know, horror is fun. And you know, it's not all just blood and guts and gore and you know, Satanist and everything people think. It really isn't. It's fun. It's 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 corn syrup. It's latex. It's you know, just go wild and go crazy. It's fun. And I wanted to bring that. So I still was doing the interviews, um, and I was dressed as a Ghostbuster when I started that. <laughs>
3: As one
0: should,
2: and that, that was fun. So it was like my premiere was last year at Monster Palooza, and I was dressed as a Ghostbuster, and I interviewed Danielle Harris, and I interviewed her for my blog two years before. So when I was premiering the whole horror movies and beyond, and I saw her, it made it easier. <laughs> so nice. she let you know. Uh, she, I hear she's she's uh, a little tough to interview unless she's comfortable with you. So since I interviewed before, she remembered me and it made it okay.
1: (laughs) Um, And
2: Tom Holland, uh, uh, the director, Tom Holland, um, I interviewed him at his home for my blog. So when I saw him, it made it easier. So creating relationships is is important with this. And so I just wanted to bring something fun and then it went on hiatus. the camera guy with me was a little weird. So we, that kind of put everything on hiatus for like eight months because I wanted to see, I want to take it to a different direction. And I really love props and stuff like that. So I was thought, oh, to incorporate that in some way. So when I did um, the review um, of Host, that recently came out. I, I that's the first time I did that where I incorporate something from the film into the reveal. And I love doing that. So then the next one was Reanimator, where I created my reagent and had the, you know, I build my own cat and had it on my back and everything. <laughs> and I asked uh, Barbara Crampton, would she help me, you know, And she was, she was like, sure, just like that. I was like, Oh crap. So she's, you know, special guest in there, surprise, special guest. So that's kind of, um, what I want to do is give you reviews, but incorporate something from the movie. So it gives you something to look forward to, like what part of the movie she's going to use next, you know? So you, you have no idea what it's going to, (laughs) so yeah.
1: Makes it, makes it more immersive, more exciting. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, I haven't watched all of your reviews yet, but the ones I have watched have been awesome. So, uh, everyone should definitely check it out.
2: <laughs> well, I'm a one-woman show. So, 99% um, I'm developed doing everything. So, um, I get some help from my boyfriend and friends, but I'm, I'm it. That's it. It's just me.
1: <laughs> and occasionally Barbara Crampton. No, no, no big deal, no big deal.
4: <laughs>
2: no big deal, no big deal at all. <laughs> so All I did was ask. I didn't. I just tweeted her, and, and I was like, eh, if she never answers or whatever, it doesn't matter. But she was like, oh, that's cool. And we exchanged uh, emails, and then she was like, call me. And she gave me her phone number, and we talked about it. And she, I wrote her a script, so exactly what you see, if you've seen it, is exactly the way it was written because obviously she can't. We can't be near each other. And when I saw it, I, I was blown away because she did exactly what I tell her. to do. So I was like, she knows. She knows how to read them. She. She's a good actress.
3: So uh, something that really struck me on horror movies and beyond, and your Twitter feed in particular, um, is is you tackle a lot of times how horror movies have helped your mental health and the Scream Kings are huge advocates of mental health awareness and and can you talk to us a little bit about that side of you how the horror genre has really helped you
2: when i was young you know my dad was a big part of me watching different movies and stuff like that and when he passed away it, it was very rough um well i'm not gonna say he passed away i mean he did pass away but it sounds like you know he just had a heart attack or fell asleep or had a car accident. No, my dad was murdered. And um, I'm not ashamed to say it uh, or or hold back because that's the truth. Uh, I learned that as I got older that he was and and that's how it is. And so um, that was very, very, very hard for for me because I was in the house when he died. And um, being, you know, this, six and a half year old girl and seeing your your dad take his last breath at your feet really did mess me up as a kid but people thought you know when you're young you don't remember but when i watched movies the movies that we did watch together which was um, aliens and the thing you know i did watch uh that one that was the first one and then aliens i watched off it because it came out in 86 so he was still around um and then like ghostbusters and you know weird science and things like that so when i watch those it just brings back the the happy moments and then when i watch ones that like romantic comedies i would get really depressed really sad um even the, the classic ones of those times, um, you know, Flight of the Navigator, Goonies, I would get sad because I I wanted to be as happy or have a friend um, like that. And my friend was my dad. And mm-hmm. when I watched horror films, I didn't get that way. I, I had happy thoughts. And as I grew up, I couldn't understand the two. And until I got, um, actually in my 30s, <laughs> then, i I learned the condition of why I was getting sad watching regular movies, not horror, and in horror, I was getting happy or it was funny, I was having a good time and it wasn't because not just it was a good story and it was funny, and you know guts are spilling and stuff like that. it was the times that I spent with my dad and the memories I had of having a great time watching those kind of movies with him, as well as my my niece so that kind of like, okay, when I'm having those good times watching, it gave me time to understand, you know, why am I depressed? Why am I having this anxiety? And I started to reach out more, I started to, you know, talk to friends and, and that, who had similar issues and stuff like that. And I realized I wasn't alone who, who have that feeling. I wasn't alone at all. And it made me feel more comfortable. And that it also pushed me to, talk more about it because I would often hear, um, I didn't, I don't wanna talk about mental health because it makes me look like, you know, people think I'm crazy or something like that. And, and I'm, that that's the problem. We need to talk about it because it, it's a silent killer. You know, mm-hmm. depression is a Absolutely. very silent killer. Um, and, and I wanna, while using horror for those who are going through that, that's when, um, I think it's a good time to talk about it because watching horror, I would hear, "Oh, you know, I'm have," it, it got rid of my anxiety. I learned how to fight off uh, uh, someone that was trying to attack me. You know, I've heard that story. Um, I learned <clears throat> how to come out. I learned, you know, from watching horror films. And I'm like, they do more great than than bad, and you know, so. But that's what Hollywood portray them, and that's okay. It's it's a movie, but some people can't differentiate the the difference between make believe and real, (laughs) you know, what they see. You know, everybody's a Satanist or something that watched that and and then that lets me know they don't even know what a Satanist is, you know, so that's another story, but anyway. (laughs) But yeah, so that's how it it helped me cope with the trauma in my life and, and give me that suppression to talk to people about what's going on with me and able to help those who need it. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I, I love that, you know, kind of inherently with, with horror movies, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of, like, natural catharsis uh, of being able to, like, see someone go through something awful and then um, you yourself are okay at the end of it, uh, regardless of, you know, having witnessed this thing. And, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting to, like, kind of look at, like, the, the things it's doing to your brain chemistry as you're processing that but it's also just amazing because yeah it can help you just yeah have a community or or you know means to open up and share things with friends and so i love that that you you know were able to to share that uh because it's it's awesome i i I love horror and i love how it helps me as well because i have anxiety depression and it um helps me be a sane person who can you know Go, go to work and yeah, have a family and be happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: Definitely. It's, a,
3: it's, a, it's, a, it's a truly beautiful statement to kind of to have something that allows you to cathart. I don't know if that's an actual verb. I hope to not. I'm make it I wild. hope not.
1: <laughs> as an English teacher, I really hope not. <laughs> uh,
3: but likewise, as a as someone who struggles with anxiety and depression, having a moment to kind of create some distance between what is going on in your life and watching someone else kind of struggle and get chased by a demon or chased by a thing, it, it allows you to, to kind of remember that maybe you don't have it as bad as you think, and, and there's power in that. And I think a lot of people underestimate the horror genre and what it can do and the healing it can provide, so... Thank you for sharing. We
1: appreciate that. And also, yes, Cathar is definitely not a word. Okay, good. (laughs) I had to double check just for my own sanity.
3: I'm now going to use it as much as possible around you.
1: Boo!
3: Let's talk about an incredible horror movie. Are are we all aligned on that, at least?
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay, so a little bit of basic information about The Thing. Uh, so it is a 1982 movie. It was directed by John Carpenter, written by Bill Lancaster, and is based on the novella Who Goes There by John Campbell Jr. Uh, this is actually the second film adaptation of that novella. Uh, but we will get into the first one just very briefly uh, after we talk about this movie. So let's uh, dive into the things we like about it. You know what, what makes this movie so awesome?
3: I think we talked a little bit about this already uh, one of the highlights of the thing the 1982 movie is the way it sets up the paranoia and the intensity throughout the entire movie um and it for me it was very much this idea of oftentimes we portray that we're one person and in reality we're something completely different you know <laughs> Um, and so having that dynamic throughout the entire movie was really intense. it was really unsettling and it created this idea of distrust throughout the entire film that you had no idea who was who, who were the good guys, who were the bad guys, who do I trust, who do I root for And really it was it just played mind games with you the entire time, which few movies are able to do effectively I think.
2: Yeah. These guys, you know, in the beginning, they're just, you know, in the rec room. You know, they're they're playing ping pong. They're listening to music. You know, cooking. You know, Knowles um, is probably cooking. But um, you know, they're, they're just they're, doing their everyday life. And-
1: they're getting mad at the the chess program and pouring scotch all over it. That is a waste of scotch. Can we just say that?
2: <laughs> you see their their normal lives, and and then you see what's outside the unknown is not just the alien, it's what's coming to them. Like they, they do not have no idea that this dog is running in the snow and you know this guy in the in, in chopper is like shooting at it. They have no idea their lives are gonna be upside down. And I think that's what's really terrifying before the terrifying actually start is how normal your life. And it takes something as a dog to change your entire life.
1: I mean, that's that's true in Marley and Me. It's true in The Thing. <laughs> God. <laughs>
3: um, I think it was poetic using a dog, though, as well, because humans are so distrustful by nature and being isolated like that. To take something as lovable as man's best friend and endanger it and turn it against you... I think that really set the stage for, okay, I can't trust anything in this movie. Everyone is a villain. I'm just going to keep eating my ice cream and just wait for it to end because
1: it's a wild ride. Well, and, and, and along those lines, I really like that, you know, they trust the dog that is a total stranger to them more than the people who are running and trying to kill the dog. Like, they're, you know, these other people are other scientists, but, you know, because they're from a different country, they immediately are like, oh, no, oh, no. Like, they, they do not assume that there is a good reason to try to kill this dog, which I, I, I like because it yeah, shows how vulnerable we are, you know, how, how, we, how often we have these, like, blind spots in our awareness.
2: Yeah, and especially, you know, he's speaking another language and they have no idea what he's saying. That even makes it worse because he's trying to 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 communicate to them but you know it it was completely the whole thing is completely foreign like they have no idea that you know why is he shooting is he shooting at us is he shooting at the dog is he crazy and before they can even they didn't even try to apprehend him you know gary just (laughs) he just let his brains just come out (laughs) like it's just one shot it was like that's it and then they have to put pieces together but yeah.
1: <laughs> but by then, it's too late.
2: Such a great setup. It really is such a great setup.
3: Well, and I think not only with that setup, but the cast was just so beautifully casted. Uh, I mean, Kurt Russell is a beefcake in this entire movie with that long flowing hair and that bushy beard. Um, he's it's always awoken... a beefcake. <laughs> it awoken things inside of me see what i did there um but the setup and the paranoia and the distrust i think would have felt flat had those actors really not delivered an a plus game um it was very invigorating the, the way they portrayed their emotions yeah, i
2: think the 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 casting played a huge part in that um, a okay. lot of them that was their first major role so um and they played it well they They really did play it well and and it's just they were all amazing in their own and what what's so awesome is that each each character was so different from the next
3: they were familiar though too like you you had your your leader, you had kind of the scientist, the nerd the the boss, the kind of quieter animal puppy lover um <laughs> People, again, that you could identify in your own life. Oh, this is this person in my life. Or, oh, McCready is uh, this person in my life. And so, again, it's setting up this intensity and distrust that is just beautifully done.
1: Way to go. For me, probably, um, you know, the other big, you know, really amazing performance was Keith David, who really does a good job of, of kind of being a, a good uh, sort of antagonist to everything that McCready's is doing. Because he too is in the same situation. And so even though we're kind of following McCready as sort of the the main hero, a lot of times it kind of shows that like everyone else is still in that same situation. They don't know if McCready is the, the good guy or the bad guy too. And so I really like that Childs um, constantly is questioning everything he's doing. And I think it just really makes that movie that much better that, that we don't have just McCready being the, you know, awesome hair, or, you know, wind flowing through his hair hero, you know, we also have other people who are doing heroic things as well. Or at least doing things that that maybe not, are aren't necessarily heroic, but make sense.
2: I think out of all the characters, my my favorites is... Uh, Childs is one of my favorites, but I really liked Windows. Me too! Because, <laughs> like, he just... He is. They're they're just coming down on him to to communicate. Yeah. He's the communicate guy, you know. Trying to get out there. He's like, I ain't reached anyone for two weeks. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on now, why are you after him?
3: I think I would be Windows if I was gonna be someone in this movie. Like the guy who's just like, guys, I'm trying my best.
2: <laughs> De- definitely, I would definitely say uh, Windows. But I do like how how things are going Childs is the one that questions, you know, everything, you know, but he did have it out for Clark though. He just seems to be like, where's Clark? You know? <laughs> 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 him and Clark, uh, you, you could probably tell by their relationship was already intense and it just made it even worse for now sure. that they have a reason to, to go at each other.
1: Which, which really just made everything feel so dropped in because, you know, you, you felt that these people had existing relationships and, you know, feuds and all of that without them having to ever say, oh, these two characters don't like each other already. You, you, you get to just kind of naturally get it, you know, kind of just as part of the action.
3: And I think it's time to talk about the hallmark of this movie. The, the practical effects to this day have stunned me speechless. I I, I have seen the thing, of course, prior, but last night I watched it for the first time in probably a few years. I was shocked. I was floored. Um, The grotesqueness of the practical effects, the spider legs, the head growing eyeballs, and the vomit,
1: and just... Wow. The dog monstrosity.
3: Yeah, I, I just... And like we talked about a little bit earlier when the doctor's punching at the chest trying to do the CPR and it opens up and bites his arm off. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? But I want more of it. Give me more. Uh, uh, it was just, you don't see that often anymore. No,
2: I, I think each, each setup in each scene that has something to do with the, the monster revealing itself. I think it outshined the next you know, we have the dog and we, we hear this low growl. Okay. And you're like, okay. And then it all of a sudden it's shaking and its head split and tentacles are coming out. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> it's like, I felt sorry for the dog, the real dogs that were in there. And it was just grabbing and, and, and spitting and doing all kinds of things. And it, it was just, it was just a massive mess like <laughs> that was just going crazy and nuts and then I mean and it moves on you know to Norris I mean I'm sorry not Norris uh Bennings and it just kept and it went from Bennings and then it just kept going and going and going it was just terrifying it got worse and worse and worse for the for how the monster is gonna look but I think the dog really set the stage of what this creature was
3: well and those tentacles whipping around and then like the spider legs it felt super parasitic and i think that is just such an innate fear in a lot of people to you know have a parasite inside you nobody wants that the the creature design was just it floored me i I was just speechless and it takes a lot to get me to shut up and john carpenter
1: you did and you know just like the puppeteers who did everything i think they uh, I, I read somewhere that it was like 50 puppeteers uh, to handle the thing at the very end of the movie uh, in that final confrontation. That's insane, but it's so amazing.
2: The main guy that did a lot of the effects that helped out was Rob ba- uh, Bo- uh I think it's Bolton. Rob Botton or Rob Bolton? I can never figure that out. But he did a lot of the, the special effects and he helped John Carpenter with the fog um, he worked with him many times. So when he got onto this film, they were already in production and he had no idea what, <laughs> the, you know, what is this going to be and how is this going to, you know, the challenge and stuff. And, and they went well over budget. And, you know, back then, mil- a million dollar movie was a lot of money. Now it's a low budget <laughs> if you're in a million coming up with these designs. And a lot of these, these creature artists and stuff like that, they have one shot, you know, materials were expensive. So sometimes they have one shot to get, and then they destroyed whatever, the you know, creature monster or uniform or whatever it is. And I, and I think that played a lot of pre-production, a lot of storyboarding, making sure you know, the lighting, everything is correct. You step here, you walk over there because, you know, one shot, we're, we're, we're tearing this thing up and we don't have the time or the budget to create a new one. And I think it takes a lot of creativity, um, a lot of, um, gotta have a good team to understand your wants and needs on these type of films. I definitely, I think so.
3: I was just going to say, we've kind of mentioned this early when we started talking about the film, but it, it does kind of play out as a mystery in some regard. Um, and the plot and the storytelling and the narrative really, I think, does this well. It's not only a horror movie, but it's kind of a whodunit, guess who kind of a game, which is fun. It's another level on top of all this gore and uh, gruesome thing moments that is really engaging. It keeps your interest in it. it Kind of helps you stay focused on the movie
2: um yeah definitely i mean i think it it's a mystery in itself you know it's a cat and mouse mystery like who's it <laughs> you know how are we going to find out and then they learn it and then it feels like the creature's one step ahead until it's like okay you know, when McReady got to that point, oh, we're, we're going to tie everyone down <laughs> and we're going to figure this out. <laughs> but I bet he never knew that stuff was going to jump out. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that itself was like, that's how you knew every single part. I mean, he even said it, you know, every part is a whole but we didn't know how whole it was until he put that hot needle in there and Mm. blood running across the floor. I mean, it was just great.
3: (laughs) That scene was one of my favorites just because it was so damn tense. And then when the blood does react and this like monster pops out of the Petri disc, that's how you do like a jump scare. You magnify the intensity you don't know when the jump scare is actually going to happen. I mean, this was like in the middle of the blood test. They didn't wait for the end or right at the beginning. It was just, it was beautiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, And and I, yeah, I love that. It it tells you like, this is going to happen, but still when it happens, it scares you. That's, that's impressive.
2: Yeah. 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 Because even though it's there, you still don't have any idea of which way it's going (laughs) to go. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But the, I think one of the biggest mysteries is what happened to Fuchs. <laughs> we still don't know what happened to Fuchs, because if you remember, he was—he always worked with the doc, and he always needed the doc for the test. And then he was sitting in his room by himself with a little lamp, and then McCready walked in and said, have you figured out something yet? And he told him, yes, you know, you have to... Uh, every single thing is like a particle of it and you know we can only eat out of cans and things like that and then, and then the lights go out and then he walks out with his little lighter or candle and something walked past the doorway next thing you know they're looking outside in the snow and then notice that there's some glasses and a charred body and it's like it's fuchs but it's like what
1: <laughs> yeah, what how happened? did that go? Yeah, down? how did that go down?
2: <laughs> how did he get so burned? They didn't know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm, makes you wonder. Was that fuchs really? Because if yeah, you remember, yeah. they already burnt ben- uh, Benning's, so the glasses could have just been there anyway.
4: Yeah, uh, a yeah, red uh, herring.
2: Yeah, you never know. So much mystery in a mystery in a mystery. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I love is that like there's it's it's constantly throwing the characters for a loop, but also the audience. Um I think that that if we had spent the whole time knowing who is the thing and who isn't, it wouldn't be the same kind of movie. Um which is is interesting because you know, if if you're looking at like the the classic Alfred Hitchcock uh definition of uh suspense, you know, it's usually that you ha- that, that the director shows you that there's a bomb under the table and And what time it's set for, and then you watch the scene play out leading up to that time, and you're waiting for it to get to that moment. But with this, it doesn't tell you it doesn't tell you who you know where the bomb is necessarily everything could be a bomb at any given moment, and I think that's a bold choice uh and I think it works really well, going briefly back to the uh blood checking scene uh I just saw a, a thing that uh, apparently a lot of people like to have the thing viewing parties and we'll do um, Jello shots in Petri dishes for that. Oh,
3: yes. That sounds amazing. And,
1: you know, if if I were a drinker, I would do that. I'm sure now Max is getting ideas and
3: um, Halloween party forthcoming. You're coming. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, another thing I really like about this movie is that um, the stakes are personal. You know, it's about, you know, you're, own individual survival and you know your interactions with your friends you know that you know these are very you know it's a tight-knit group of people who are expecting to you know be living together constantly for months on end but then there's also the global stakes where if this goes wrong and they don't take care of the thing amongst themselves it will almost certainly become basically every living thing within a very short period of time which i think is really a, a great way to up the ante just as things are starting to get crazy it just goes that much harder
2: oh yeah that right there when you see that that um that little uh, animation of that uh it made it look like it happened a whole lot faster according to that animation but just looking mm-hmm. at that it's like you know just people in your group you know it said 70 part per you know, possibly 75% of them, um, you know, it could be the thing, you know, and you're just like, oh my goodness. And it's puzzling because at that moment, you know, when he grabbed the gun for protection, you know, if it was me, I'd be trying to get out of there. I'd be trying to find a way to get out, you know, before things got destroyed, but no one really tried to leave sooner. Which I, I thought was try- kind of interesting, like they're trying to reach people, but you have the means to go to a different town before it even escalated. I would have took off if I was Macready because it seemed like he was the only really pilot that was there, except for Palmer. Palmer said he would have uh, took it up if you remember that, and he's like, "Forget it, Palmer," and he was like, "Okay."
1: <laughs> well, but I like that that it. Um, the the movie you know gave us a lot of ways of like hey even doing that would be extremely risky you know because we have the storm coming in like you know they're essentially trapped even though they're not actually you know technically stuck there it's the the danger is just as life threatening if not more so uh, if you leave which is I think a really cool choice you know and and you know really plays to how effective the setting is. You know, there's not very many horror stories that we get that are set uh, in Antarctica, but it, I think it works out great.
2: Once you figure it out, who is who, what do you do with it? What do you do with the person that is the thing at that point? You know, and, and I, I think it never really talked about that, but I, I think other versions, <laughs> their prequel kind of... Played a what would you do in that situation? But this one, it's just completely just terrifying because they find, you know they they get more clues, they get more things, and Norris. I think Nor. I think as the the audience, you kind of figured that something was wrong with Norris when mm-hmm. he um, when Nalls and and McCready decided to you know, go to his shack <laughs> to go check something out because he turned the lights off yesterday. So I think at that point you kind of figure out whose side, who really trusts McCready. And I think at that point you realize not a lot of people trust him even though he was the leader.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's amazing how quickly trust and the, the, just the group dynamics shift in, uh, in a heartbeat really.
3: Well, and I I really appreciated that they didn't make MacReady to be some like hyper protagonist who could do no wrong. I I felt that by giving him kind of a darker side, it it brought some dimension to his character.
2: Yeah, because I I think he he wasn't meant to be the leader. I think he kind of was pushed there. Um, When they found out someone had uh, tampered with the blood and, you know, you they said you know who has the keys and gary said you know i have i have this you know i come in there and, and um copper was like you know I, I i copper was like i go in there and gary's like i got the only key and who takes it from you and then you know copper was like you know when i get the keys i you know i do as do and, and return it right away and it's like look dead at gary like you know come on man you know it's you you did something and then you got that moment where i just even love Wendell's even more because he backed away from everyone. At that point, it was like, okay, I trust no one. <laughs> you know, the hell with everybody. I'm finna get me some protection. And it's like, they knew where Wendell's was going and he he was getting that gun. He was like, no way, you're gonna listen to Gary. He could be one of those things. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's yeah, just- so- at that point everybody didn't know didn't like anybody no more. <laughs> <Didn't> <laughs> trust anybody anymore.
1: Which is the only way to handle that situation, honestly.
2: Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> so let's let's talk about the ending of the movie because um it, you know, is kind of famously a little bit vague about who's the thing, who's not the thing. Um and I've I've heard and and you know I've I've watched it kind of closely with a certain viewpoint of of actually having an answer to that, but I, I want to know what what you guys think first of, of you know who who if anyone is the thing at the end between Childs and Macready.
4: I for sure
3: thought it was Childs, but I could, I mean I, the whole plot of the movie I think it's setting you up to second guess yourself.
2: Well, mm-hmm. if, if see, that's what I I really. Admire. I mean a lot of people didn't really like the prequel, but the prequel told us it cannot duplicate inanimate objects so but we didn't know that as the audience so let's just pretend that wasn't there' <laughs> pretend the prequel didn't exist so when you're looking at child, he is having an earring in his ear so mm-hmm. if if but we didn't know that as the audience because there's so much chaos for the for, you know for the 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 1982 version we didn't know that so who could it be the thing you know it's like i was going after blair but they were just dealing with blair (laughs) you know it's like hmm you know how long was that situation of him running after blair to them dealing with blair you know time frame Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and but as the audience we knew McReady may may not be the thing it was Child's the question was, I think, is
0: he
4: Yeah
2: because we 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 were with McCready most of the time.
1: Yeah, so I definitely you know agree, yeah, McCready is definitely not the thing. Um, something I saw that uh, that really kind of cements the idea of child's being the thing other than the earring thing, which I think is awesome is uh, if you look at their breath, and, and this, is, this is easier to see on an older copy because it, um, when, when, when you get the high-res Blu-ray version, you, you're going to see a little bit of uh, the steam of the breath either way. Um, but you see plenty of steam from the breath of McCready, but you see none at all from Child's, or, or almost none at all, uh, when they're talking, and so to, uh, so that was a, uh, apparently intended to be also a, a hint that he is the thing, um, because he doesn't have to breathe he, it's a giant vegetable He's a
2: thing <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, barely noticed that, and it didn't even stri- strike me as that would be the thing <laughs> you know, like he would be the thing, but it does question him more than McCready. Because, you know, we, we were with him. Yeah, that is kind of like, he could have been. He could have been. Um, but mm-hmm. then he, he, he did have an earring.
0: <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: So without knowing prequel, we would probably think Childs is the thing.
4: Yes. Yes.
1: But either way, it's awesome. And I like that there is that level of ambiguity and that, that it's the kind of movie that you can kind of look to that level of detail of trying to justify your argument either way because um, it, it kind of warrants that sort of level of questioning and, and not that many movies really get me looking that closely um, as as the thing does.
2: Well, then it goes to why didn't McCready just kill him anyway?
4: Fair question.
2: Because in the, in the other time, when he was like, when Ch- when Childs was like, you're not tying me up, <laughs> you know, and he put the gun in his face. He said, well, I'll, I'll kill you. And he was like, well, then kill me. And, then, you know, he cocked the gun or whatever. And it showed, he was like, I guess you would. And then when Clark came, Clark came up to him, he just fired at Clark. So I was thinking, well, if you know you're not because you just fought it and he claiming he ran over here, I would just just shoot him and or you could shoot him somewhere and see what happened because the thing would didn't try to defend itself that's what i would have thought i would have shot him in his leg or something (laughs) (laughs) and see what happens and if nothing happened and the blood ain't running away or he ain't changing i'm like oh well then you are child (laughs) sorry that you're bleeding to death but i just had to make sure sorry
4: (laughs) yeah or who knows maybe they were both the thing
2: yeah, we will we never know, supposedly, <laughs> never. However, there is a comic that was out and um, the first issue, um, which I found, and it actually continues the story, what happens after that. So. Ooh,
1: I will have to track that down.
2: Yeah, which I've been tracking, <laughs> at least for number two, but the first one I got, which you, oh, I'm so lucky because no one can point it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it tells you exactly from then on what happened. Huh.
1: Huh. Well, I am going to look very hard for that. And if I can find it in its entirety, I will let you know.
2: Okay, thank you. So that's why I won't say anything. I'll be quiet.
4: Okay. We'll, we'll just agree that, you know, there,
1: there's more and we must know. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so is there anything about the thing that we didn't like as much? I have a
0: few I things. I have a few things. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. So uh, to our fans on Twitter, first and foremost, I think this is a brilliant near perfect movie but near perfect being the key
1: phrase here. but
3: but um and nathaniel you actually noted this that it would have been nice to see some more women represented represented wow, I can't represented 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 yes thank you in the movie um, or and alongside any women at all go ahead, uh yeah i, I don't um And alongside that, I think this movie sometimes does fall prey to being a product of its time. Um, a lot of the characters are very toxic masculine in that they are hyper-masculine. If you're not up to their level, you're not as strong, you won't survive. Uh, a lot of the sensitive men, like Windows, for example, seem to still provide a lot of benefits to the team, but it, they're overlooked because he might be a little bit nerdy than MacReady. Uh, and that kind of threw me back into some fun high school times where, I don't know, it kind of came off across a little bit as bullying in the movie. And again, it's a product of its time, different well, times, It's the 80s.
1: Well, well, I think that's part of the point, though. I think that it's trying to show us that, like, any of them could be the threat, any of them could be the thing. And so it does like it. Yeah, it was really more about being smart and, and paying attention uh, than it was about being the, the biggest macho man. Um, and so regardless, I, though, if that was the
3: point, I don't think it aided the movie. Um, I don't know. I thought it was rather distasteful. In some-
1: and I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. But I would say that it was actually trying to critique that it was trying to say. Hey, like, it's it's dumb that that they're instantly discounting some people because, regardless of you know, where they fit in with this you know within this masculine hierarchy, at the end of the day, all of them are just as big of threats as anyone else, and um, all of them are contributing to the team. Like, they're all there for a good reason, and so I don't know. Yeah, to me. It showing the toxic toxic masculinity was showing part of why it was so easy for them to kind of fall apart and destroy themselves, so yeah to me, including that was a an attempt to to show why that may not be a good or helpful thing in society I don't know um okay.
2: for me um the whole manly. Thing, I, I think it's appropriate. One, um, I guess I, you have to look at the bigger picture, not just the situation of, of the guys that are there. I think being, you know, in the, in the cold region like that, um, you, these people, each one of them brought something to the table. They were knowledge of something. Um, and I think it's the environment. They we needed some strong men who knows their what their their place and their job, or um, you know, knowledge, knowledgeable of situations. If it, it does come um, down to you know life threatening, if we just take out the thing part, um, each one of them was so different and brought something different to the table, and you learn each one um, windows that seems to be the, the lesser, but he was the communications. He was the one that made sure they, um, com, you know, communicate with civilization, you know, make sure, you know, they, they had a way to give information and take information when needed from, from that area. Um, but I just think it's, I mean, if this was in a wooded area, you know, and in a cabin somewhere. I think having different types of men, it didn't matter of the times because I've seen horror films where they really had the, the super geek, the super weak. They had the at that time, but I think it was the element, it was where it was taking place. You need strong, um, manly men, if you, <laughs> you want to call it that, in the environment, in the situation that they were working in. Because I don't think anyone that's not too manly would want to work in a in a really dangerous, high terrain. I mean, not high terrain. Um, cold environment where it's really hazardous. That that's just my opinion. (laughs) But um, but it could be for the times. I don't know. I mean, that's how I'm looking at it. And but then you saw how weak they really are. You saw. Yeah, you began to see their fear, their you know, their masculinity started to deteriorate over time because they, they you saw the, the scaredness and, and the threat. I mean, we saw that. So, I mean, Norris seems not to be so manly himself. I mean, he seemed like the weakest, the sickest, who knows? You know, so, but, but that's my, my thing.
1: Okay. So what else do you got for us, Max, that we can argue with you on? And and that's fine.
3: Um, I I don't want this to come off a a us versus me scenario, though. Um, Because I I do find faults in some of the movie points. And I know, Nathaniel, this is one of your all-time favorite movies, but I think one of the hallmarks of the thing is it allows for this difference in interpretation. Yes. And I think a large part of that is based on experiences we've had growing up. And, um, you know, when we are in stressful situations, the people around us, how we perceive them interacting with us. Um, and so I, I, I'm a little hesitant now to share a few of my items, but I will do it. No, but um, I, I want
1: you to share them because I think, it, yeah, you bring up great points. Uh, I just also want to bring up a great counterpoint.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: and, and that's fine. I just don't want that counterpoint to be well, no, Max, you're wrong because I love this movie and it can do no wrong. <laughs> um, because I, I don't think it's perfect. And I, I, one of the biggest... One of the biggest things for me in the movie, especially in a rewatch, was the best parts of this movie for me, for Max, was the thing. Those gruesome physical effects that we were seeing. And there were maybe four moments where that was really prominent in the movie. Um, I would argue that 80% of the movie, the the horror is about the unknown and not knowing who is the protagonist, who is the antagonist. Um, and, And I've think that that kind of did a disservice to the movie. The the physical effects were so good. I wanted more. And there were occasions, especially in the beginning and the third act where I was kind of looking at my watch a little bit saying, "Okay, let's let's move on. Where where is the thing? I want the thing again. Scare me with the thing."
1: And
2: Well, I would I would say this. Um that that is a good point. There are some moments there, but you also have to realize how john carpenter worked i mean when he did halloween um it was that fear as well the unknown it was the the slow build up to michael and he's really good at that if you've seen the fog it's the same way so i think even in this one it, it's the, he's trying to establish normal, uh, how normal life is. And even in between through all the chaos, there's still some kind of normal life in between until it just becomes disintegrated and there's no normal life. And that was when the point where Knowles um, and McCready um, separated from the group and went to go check out and Knowles came back and left McCready. And I think at that point it's like, okay, uh, you know, let's blow him away, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, like, and even there was even a point where when Windows was, was telling you know the group like, how do we? What if we we're wrong about him? And and Child said, so what? What if we're wrong? Like he he just was ready to blow anybody away that wasn't you know that he believed was the thing. So I, I think that was like the end of it there. Like where it just everybody was after everybody and, you know, it just went on from there. But I love the, the build up. It's not a perfect film, believe me. Ugh. You know, there's so many things wrong with it. However, when it comes to storytelling, Darn Carpenter always has his style of a slow build up. He wants to really get into your mind of this sense of normalcy, of, of everything is fine. And he, all you know, everything is fine with the chaos around. He did that in Halloween. You, you know, Laurie is just you know home with the kids, and everyone is just getting stabbed. I mean, it's just you know, it's his style. Um, Is it flaws? Yes. Um, Was it perfect? No way, no way. But I think understanding his style and giving him some credit is important.
0: Well,
3: I, I. I want to point out, though, that I think a director's style doesn't necessarily make a movie better or worse, Um, regardless if John Carpenter does a slow movie and a kind of a slow burn buildup. It it doesn't negate the fact that at points during the thing, I was bored. Um, And I think this is indicative of all directors, you know, even Ari Aster, who we applaud uh, he has some shots that might go on a little bit too long, or say a Christopher Nolan movie. You, you know these tropes that directors sometimes fall in uh, doesn't give them a pass for the movie pacing or the movie's style. Definitely
2: not saying it gives anybody <laughs> yeah. a pass of their style. I'm just saying, as in understanding what he was trying to pull. Rather, he pulled it off for the person, the audience. I don't know, but like there were points where it was kind of like okay on to the next but i i do understand what he was trying to pull off and was he successful maybe not to some some people think this is like the masterpiece and the messiah of of remakes but uh, it's all opinion on the way they they believe in this film how it how it uh turned out and how it came out or how everything so
1: yeah Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I want to kind of jump into to this conversation because, um, to me, I, I I actually really like a lot of the slow moments in this movie. the The parts that were probably you know some of the parts that that made you a little bit bored, Max, because to me that was when I had to be I think the most on guard and and had to do my my most intense detective work as a viewer because um the threat was always there you know whenever it slowed down you just knew that you know almost at any given time one of these people is probably the thing if not two or three of them and so you know i spent the whole time going okay what do i know about these characters you know what has it already shown me what are their little, their little nuances and can i pick up on any hints of who's the thing and so i love those moments actually um even though they are admittedly very slow at times because I had to really just like it to me, I, you know, that, that was a lot of those moments where I would lean forward and go, you know, really start really, really paying attention to the movie more so than even some of the action moments.
3: Well, no, and I, I would definitely agree. And you and I, Nathaniel have talked about how being so in love with the horror genre, we watch movies a little bit differently. Uh, I I just think the pacing between the action scenes and the long drawn out scenes was a little disjointed. And again, a big part of this, I think, for me is the physical effects of the thing were so terrifying. I kind of felt like they didn't use it to its full capacity. I mean, that iconic scene with the head walking around on spider legs. That's iconic. Why don't we get more of that? Budget. Uh, and fair fair point you know fair point but and i i i think that is one of the achilles
2: heels of the movie at least for me <laughs> when when they sh- when the thing reveals itself it's like so dramatic over the top wild and crazy it it i think it was showing us like what the death of this destruction of this the thing like what it can do what it can do what it if it reach civilization what terror, destruction it would bring to the world if it got loose, that it, it could start off something as small and in, to reveal itself, it is more massive and dangerous than what we think. And, and I, I think you know the, the moments that it did reveal itself was so violent and, and, and so intense, like, yeah, this gets out, it could be anything, you know. Not it. It is the thing. Anything, because, you know, if you you know you've seen aliens, you know exactly what we're going to look for. With this, you have no idea. So when it bursts out, it's like, what is it going to be next? How it's going to reveal itself next? And it and it it goes way crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah. you know the budget wise. I mean, it did go over budget <laughs> with just the materials it was using then. Um, but you know, if it was made now, it'd be totally CGI,
4: which we see in the prequel. Uh, Last, last thing. Um, last thing I'll say
3: about things that I didn't really love is we do talk. We did talk about how the stakes were very personal, which I would agree. Uh, but also global, and yes, I would agree with that, that they do allude to this in some regard, but it is a very short moment, and then it's kind of resolved and done and over with, and so eh, I, I agree, the stakes are very, very personal, but I don't think they played up the, if this thing gets out, the world is ending, and it's up to us to destroy it. Other than maybe the last statement, one of the last statements by McCready, where he says that, you know, we're getting out of here dead so that the world can live or whatever.
1: Well, and I guess along those lines, then, uh, to me, like, really, that whole last act is about that global, the the global stakes, that they are destroying the base. They know that they are not going to survive, that everything that they're going to have to do to fight it means that they're going to die. And so to me, the the global component of the stakes really played into that third act in a very big way. Okay, so now
3: I have a question for the two of you. Yes. Tell me something you did not like about the movie that we haven't already talked about. Because I'm tired of being the bad guy here.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. I'm like thinking, thinking, didn't like what I did not like
1: when the chest opens up and it gets the hands it looked a little bit cheesy that's the only thing i can think of
2: well uh, you got to give the times man it was 82 or 81 when they made it they ain't got the best stuff <laughs> they did the best they could hey
1: that, that was a deep pull for me otherwise it's almost flawless to, to, in my eyes
2: <laughs> there were some things that was that that didn't clarify for me one of them was, let's see, when McReady was outside and Fuchs came to him and say, everybody's in the rec room, Wendell's is trying to get some help. And then, you know, you see somebody running away and then it's like a few minutes later shootings. But I just thought that was interesting because I paused it when they were in the hallway scene. And, and, and to me, they, no one, this wasn't addressed. But yeah, so when I paused it, I counted for everyone except Knowles and Palmer. Those two was in the hallway. And I was thinking, okay, if there's gunshots and craziness going on, why we don't see those two in any angle whatsoever? So Palmer and Knowles was not in that scene. And for, I don't know, maybe it's supposed to make you think maybe it was an accident or maybe they got cut out, I don't know. But it was a lot of ambiguous things going on and like what happened to Fuchs, I thought they could have explained that a little better um, because it it, it just went to, he's dead, let's move on. I mean, it's kind of like, okay. Um, And in the ending, no, I'm sorry, not the ending, but. How Blair got out when it's bolted from the outside, like Noel said, it was kind of like, okay, can it have another thing um can't help him are they in cahoots? I mean, there was just to me it's like certain parts of the story was kind of like just fill in the blank um and hope for the best. But other than that, that, that's the only thing, like there were some jarring moments that were missing, but um, that wasn't explained or, or just kind of there and, you know, let's piece it together or, you know. But other than that, I can't really say anything else.
4: That's it. And that's fine.
1: <laughs> All right.
4: Thank you for indulging me. <laughs>
1: Okay, so uh, should we move on to ratings? Yeah, I think
3: so. Uh, So typically how we'll rate movies here um, is we do it by crowns, which is how good the movie is on a scale of 1 to 10, um, and then screams as how scary the movie is. Again, 1 being a Disney movie, 10 being the worst thing you've ever seen. Uh, So for me, as far as crowns go, I gave it an 8. Um, I know you all probably think I hate this movie. I don't. (laughs) It's a work of art. Um, It laid the foundation for so many other horror movies. John Carpenter does incredible work, and the cinematography and the physical effects and everything was just stunning. So I give it an 8.
1: I give it a 9. Give it a 12? I give it a (laughs) 9. Um... it it i don't know exactly what about it. it doesn't make it a full 10 for me it's just i am I'm, I'm really stingy with my 10s but it's it, it's probably more like a 9.5 honestly it's it's pretty freaking perfect
2: <laughs> um gosh that that's uh no I've never rated it i never rated it so this is a little difficult for me so, but I'm gonna rate it a 10. Not because I, I, it's my favorite movie, but it's this. This is why I'm gonna rate it a 10. I'm thinking of the times. I'm not thinking of, as a person today watching it. At the times, I think it was, it was challenging what, the, what movies were doing. He, he was taking something and he created his own, um, that a story that has been done to, uh, to once already And they wanted to create something that was closer to the book. And um, did they achieve that? I don't know, but it looks beautiful, you know, the way they done it. But the times it was different and, and it caused a lot of controversy and it had such a bad rap because it was different. You know, they were used to not anything like that. So I think for him to take, go out the box, to bring us something terrifying and showing the work of art of the creators that work with him, I I think um, it, it it shunned him away. I mean, he lost uh, you know other works because of it, and because he wanted to challenge, and it created something where it's like now it's like the holy grail of a <laughs> of a lot of what to do with remakes, and and I admire his you know his work for that. So I'm giving it a ten, not because I think the movie is perfect, it's because of the effort of what he was trying to pull. I think he did what he wanted to do, scare the crap out of us in his way. That's it.
1: Well, speaking of scaring the crap out of uh, us, let's talk about Scream's. Um, so I guess I can I can go first. Uh, so I give it a six on Scream's. I think it's really it has some great, really scary moments, but. Um, most of the time, I just felt paranoid and, and anxious rather than necessarily scared. I gave it
3: a seven for the the grotesque sing, scenes with the thing. That alone. Uh, I don't know, it stuck with me quite substantially. So a seven.
2: Um, I would give it uh, I would give it a seven. Seven and a half. eight. No. seven and a half, eight. Somewhere like seven some <laughs> more, somewhere in there. Um seven point seven five. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> <Me too. laughs> um yeah, I would give that because um like like you know, like you said, it it gave you that paranoid that paranoid feeling of who is it and, and how it would be revealed. Because it showed us different ways of showing itself. What is next? What can it top it? Um but just the effects alone and the characters how they all work together um how the the chemistry of the characters work together um no one was out of i believe no one was out of place no one was like god oh, that character just seems weird everyone was different and it fit and i give that and then the special effects um the yeah i just, just beautifully done. <laughs> so that that's mine. So I wanted to very briefly just
1: touch on all of the other ways that uh I guess the other pieces of, of media in the Thing universe, and also the original novella, and all of that. So if we could just briefly summarize, you know, I guess if, if we've seen these or read them or whatever, and, and you know, kind of what you think. So. First things first, let's just talk about the prequel very briefly. So to me, I don't love the CGI and, and the fact that yeah, they didn't really take advantage of you know, doing uh, lots of practical effects. But I think that the way that they reproduce the carnage uh, from the original, because you know, it's the, the team, uh, the Norwegian team, uh, the way that they paid such incredible attention to detail to how everything gets destroyed by the end of it is amazing.
2: I I actually enjoyed it. I, I love what they were trying to do, and I, and I love some of the stuff they actually were able to do. Um, the prequel was actually supposed to be a remake, but no one wanted it at the time. So they decided to come up with, okay, let's piece the puzzles of the things that they found when they went to the Norwegian site. I think they did a really good job to, you know, why the axe was there, why the 2 headed person was there, or, you know, why the person committed suicide. I mean, it was just, it, it, it took great um, attention to detail. Um, I really, they did pay homage too, even though it was a prequel to the Kurt Russell character, because Kate reminded me of the, of MacReady. I mean, she wore a coat like him. She, <laughs> I mean, she had the hair like him. I mean, it was like she became the leader like him. Um, and then, you know, then it became to the part no one trusts her. I mean, it, it kind of followed that pattern with that. Um, however, the effects of the thing, I think was a little bit too much. I, I like the slow of it revealing itself. This one was it seemed to be like it was fastened at you. It it didn't give you a chance. It was chasing you down. It was it was doing all these things that the 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 pre um I'm sorry the remake uh, didn't do. You know, it was doing all these things. So it was the aliens didn't match. Um, however the alien inside the ship match the book better, which I thought was kind of interesting. But um, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. It still had some unanswered questions. I'm like, okay, because, you know, about Kate, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's where I came with the guy about the whole earring, because the guy that was with her had the earring, and when it got back to the little, you know, truck thing, he had no earring, and that's how she said, I know who you were. And she burned him up, and then you can hear it scream—the the thing screaming. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah.
1: Then, um, have have y'all seen the original film, uh, *The Thing from Another World*?
0: Yes, I have the DVD.
4: Nice. Um,
1: so I just barely watched it actually uh, last night and today, uh, in order to prep because I hadn't seen it, and that was a big gap in my knowledge um there were things I really liked about it there were things I didn't like about it um I thought it was an interesting choice to like have you know a lot of military presence in in that movie um in terms of you know who's battling the thing and I I thought it was a shame that it wasn't just becoming them That that was kind of the big difference there is just that it just turns into a humanoid shape and then just runs at them a bunch of times um, but that said, it was still pretty good. It held up pretty well. Um, so definitely worth a watch. Uh, and you know, if nothing else, you you probably seen a clip of it while watching Halloween because that's what the kids are watching while Lori is babysitting them. So, so I I, I love that.
4: Yeah, we have uh Carpenter
1: giving us a little tease of that. And then he makes the thing thereafter. Um, uh, another thing I just wanted to very briefly touch on is the original novella, which is a lot of fun. Um, it's called goes there. Uh,
4: it's, it's basically the, I I would say, yeah, the,
1: the John Carpenter, the thing was, uh, by far the, the closest uh, adaptation, um, but you know, I just kinda of would say it's it's the John Carpenter the thing, but much more bare bones. Um but I liked it. It it was a fun story. I'm glad that it spawned all of this awesomeness that that we get to play with.
2: Uh shocking, I have not read it. I only read <laughs> like like little excerpts or something, but I have not read that book. Like in its entirety. <laughs> Which is so sad. Well, is it-
1: well, it's a quick read. It's only like 50, 60 pages long because it's just a, a yeah, short novella. So uh, definitely worth worth taking
2: up. I, I just have it in my collection. I have everything else but that. <laughs> Pretty sad.
1: Well, now you just have something to look forward to. Um, and also just another thing I wanted to bring up was just that uh, apparently there is a video game sequel. Uh, I think it was for like GameCube and PlayStation Two. I want to say was the era that it, that came out, um, and it's also just called the Thing, which makes it fun to you know talk about how the Thing is the prequel to the Thing, which has a sequel, which is the Thing. Doesn't ever get confusing. Um, Not at all. <laughs> I never played it, but I kind of want to get my hands on it just to give it a, a whirl. I
2: I played it. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell. Have you ever played Silent Hill?
1: I love me. Oh, I need some salad. Okay, okay. In dead space. You, you. Yes.
2: Okay, now it had that feel. Have you ever heard of that game called SOCOM?
4: Yes.
2: Okay. Have you played SOCOM?
4: No.
2: Okay. So SOCOM, that game, you have a crew with you, and you actually wear a mic, and then you say beta alpha. You know, you have to give commands. For the thing, for the the game, you come with a crew. So, your crew is the search party that happened after the whole um, trying to find any missing people from, you know, uh, Childs and McCready. So, you're the search crew to come there to the Mm -hmm. outpost. And you have a crew with you. Now, the crew carries certain things, certain first aid, guns, and things like that. And you're the leader. At the same time, while you're trying to search your crew, you have monsters. And also, your crew gets paranoid. Once they get paranoid, you have to physically, as the character, walk over there and reassure them. They start to shake, and you see them shaking. So as they shake, you have to give them what they need to stop shaking. Uh, They need guns, they need bullets, first aid stuff like that so as you're still searching for your crew you have to be aware of your crew with you as you're searching for the what happened at at the outpost it's an intense hard game it is scary there's jump scares so if you played any dead space um uh the old bioshock and um Silent Hill, it has
0: that feeling in Nathaniel's language right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It has that. Yes. (laughs) And I love Bioshock. I played them all, played them all. So, uh, it's Silent Hill.
3: Well, we want, we, we want to do a whole episode about Bioshock. We might have to have you back.
2: No, (laughs) I played (laughs) them all Even infinity. Oh. Oh, I love it. i played that game like uh, 10 times. I just lo- It's so beautiful. Sorry. Infinite. <laughs> in- yeah. Bioshock Infinite. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry.
1: It's my favorite video game of all time. So uh, no, no judgment there.
2: Oh, I have a favorite video game, but it ain't that one. But I played it a lot. But yeah, I played them all. They, they're, they're pretty creepy. Woo!
1: Adore Bioshock.
2: So yeah, we'll, we'll have to
4: just have you back and we'll just talk about that too. Um.
1: Yeah, it'll just be great. Um, Now I'm looking up uh, buying the thing used online. So, you know, $32 on eBay.
2: I have to remind you, the effects are different. So if you played Resident Evil, it has that kind of thing, unless they redid it, you know, remastered it. Um, Other than that, if you find anything of remastered, um, but it does have that, Beginning of Resident Evil 2, 3, that kind of look a little bit to it. So just be aware. If your eyes are like, what is <laughs> You expecting the Call of Duty graphics? No.
1: <laughs> no, no. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a PS2 title. So I, I expect uh, it to be a little uh, pixely and lots of polygons. But yeah, no, just looking at some some of the things, it definitely is a, one of the better looking PS2
4: horror titles. So yeah, um, definitely gonna get that for myself soon. Um, there's another thing that I really want to get for myself, which is the uh, board game, uh, which is uh, I, th- I believe it's called Escape from Outpost Thirty-One or something like that, or oh, Infection at Outpost Thirty-One. And
1: I want it really badly, and then they, I think they have recently like stopped printing it. So it immediately made the price go from forty dollars to
4: almost two hundred dollars. So, so, if
1: anyone you know out there listening wants to just make me the happiest poor nerd alive, then you know, just hit me up on Twitter for my address to send it to me. Um, just th- just just saying, just saying. But I I love that idea of it being a, a game where like, you know, it's it's dealing with the the tense paranoia of you know, someone's playing as a thing and they have to, you know, it's it's a bluffing game and, you know, that you have to hide who you are and then, um, you know, try to slowly infect everyone and, you know, kind of have that win-lose scenario that's built into it. You know, to me, um, I love board games way too much and that kind of game just seems 100% up my alley, so someday it will be mine. Oh, I was just going to then just also talk about how there's a really good X-Files episode that is a... Loving tribute to the thing.
2: You know, I don't remember. And I've seen probably every episode of The X-Files, and I can't even remember.
1: Um, so the the gist of the plot is that um, they go to a... I don't know, let's see. So, it's, so the episode is called Ice. It is Season 1, Episode 8. And um, they go to Alaska uh, because a, a member of a research team up there died, and then once they go, they find out that there are extraterrestrial parasitic organisms that drive their host into impulsive fits of rage. So instead of becoming the thing, it's basically who is infected with this parasite. Um, but like the whole thing plays out very, like as, just as a, as a clear, loving tribute to the thing. Like The whole time you're like, oh, this is the thing, but x Files. It's a great episode. I love it.
2: Man, I barely—I <laughs> barely remember that. Now I gotta well, look at it worth,
1: again. Yeah, it's it's worth a
4: rewatch. Okay. Um, Anything uh, smiles well, deserve. That's that's fair. It's a great show. It it still holds up. Well, mostly, mostly. There's a few episodes that don't, but you know, it, it was the '90s. Um. to wrap up
3: this thing i'm gonna try and use thing as much as i can now um we'd like to close our episodes with a segment that we like to call staying spooky um so that is just something that you're doing to stay relevant in the horror community whether that's a horror movie you've watched recently or a horror tv show a book uh, whatever it is Um, just to kind of give our listeners some more options of what is out there. The horror genre is so massive, and I think a lot of people push it into just a corner saying it's only horror movies. Uh, So for me, I have rediscovered the animated series Castlevania on Netflix. I watched the first season, and I was very disappointed that it was only four episodes long. But holy cow, it is so good. Second season, I'm starting third season. It is... Brilliant, such a good series.
1: Yes, it is uh for me, uh, how I've been saying spooky is I've been listening to the Faculty of Horror podcast, which has been in my periphery forever, and then I decided to finally sit down and listen to it and I love it uh, and like ten episodes in, but inevitably just going to and from work, I'm going to blaze through the whole series in a couple of months uh, and get totally caught up so. Definitely recommend that one for anyone who enjoys our podcast. Have you done anything to say spooky you lately?
2: Well, I've been watching quite a bit of the, the shutter, um, their original, uh, movies. Um, some of them are are really good. Um, I just recently watched yummy and, and Z. Um,
3: Oh, Z is pretty good. We we really liked
2: Z. Uh, Z, Z was I was surprised. It, it had a, one of those endings where you were like, "Oh wow, well, I didn't expect that to happen." But it, mm-hmm. it's like they've been in the past. They have. They would do once in a while. Um, Shutter originals, but um, they've really been throwing them out there, and I think it's yeah. competition with Netflix. But they. Agreed. But I. What I like about Shutter is that that app or or, uh, whatever you wanna call it, TV network is horror. So they could just, you know, whoever has that is going in there to watch is looking for blood, guts and gore and something scary. Whereas Netflix, it has to range across quite a bit. And some of them are pretty creepy, but I think Shudder is really stepping up the game. With with that so i've been they they got some really good originals. I definitely recommend like yummy z um there's some other ones I can't remember right now but but definitely shutter is is a place it looks like <laughs> definitely
4: yeah <laughs> all right
1: well, um, I think we have thoroughly covered the thing now and all of its iterations. Um, so uh, since there's nothing else to say uh, I just have to say stay spooky stay
2: spooky stay spooky need even more
0: Scream Kings? here's our obligatory shameless social media plug follow us on Twitter
3: or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod you could also email us at Scream Podcast at gmail.com Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes, or by sharing a link on social
0: media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash kings.
4: Stay spooky.